You ever seen those ads in the magazines about uh, dealing with family trees and you, you, you have these list of names of your names on it, you're supposed to click on it and, you know, and write them or call them. And now it's on computers as well. And uh, my brother has, has looked up things about our family. I didn't know much about it. He got really got into it. They moved to Williamsburg, Virginia years ago and they began to trace back their ancestors. My brother's wife, her name was Hancock and she was actually related to John Hancock somehow back there to the to the the big John Hancock, you know. And but let me tell you about my family. My family were the Bonds. They came over from England in eighteen hundred led by a man by the name of Basil Bond. And they landed in Virginia but they were very poor and they spread to Mississippi because free land was offered in Mississippi. And from all that time my grandfather moved from Mississippi to Stonewall, Oklahoma. And my daddy was born there, but when my daddy was born, not very many, maybe two weeks, three weeks, a month after he was born, his mother died. And his granny came all the way from Mississippi and got him and uh, said, this little boy is not going to be raised out here. We're going back to Mississippi. So he actually was taken away from my dad, from his dad. And his dad, we're not even sure what happened after that. He ended up uh, in Arizona, but my daddy grew up in Mississippi. In fact, in a little town right out, actually outside of a small town called Ethel, Mississippi. My mother grew up in a town but about 10 miles away from there called McCool, Mississippi, little bitty. And, of course, they got together. That helped me a lot because when they got together. And I was, of course, born in Mississippi, but by the grace of God, I think it's amazing that I got to come to Oklahoma. And live here and get to be a part of this church. So I love it. It's exciting when you start seeing all the connections. And uh, you ever thought about your family tree? Well, in, in the Genesis, beginning in chapter 9 and then all in 10 and all in 11, we're going to see the family tree basically of the world. Because we're going to see the three sons, Ham, uh, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And, and then we're going to see who, who comes out from them. And when we look at chapters 10 and 11 next time, we're going to put both chapters together. Because if you've ever read it, a lot of it is a listing of names. What we'll do is we'll pick some famous names, some names. That, that sort of are key through there. We'll see certain things, and we'll put the whole thing together. So this week we finish chapter 9. Next time we'll actually do 10 and 11 together, so you can sort of get ready as you look through that. Um, as we look at this, we find information that, that's uh, important as we see the path of the seed of woman who's going to come and crush the head of the serpent. Because we know that the promise was to Adam and Eve that the seed of woman will crush the head of the serpent. We're going to see where that seed comes, how it how it progresses this evening we see noah and his interactions with his sons from which comes the family tree of humanity because this passage actually says that these three sons of noah and from these three the whole earth was populated so from these three guys everybody comes and that truth we're going to see uh, some principles from the passage dealing with sin and consequences and honor and dishonor as far as our parents are concerned now in as we start this, there's a verse that we should all remember, and that's 1 Corinthians 10, 12. It says, take heed, I don't know if that's blocking anybody's view or not, take heed lest you think you stand that you fall, 1 Corinthians 12. The truth is that God warns us. He says, listen, each of us is capable of any sin. Now, here's the thing. If you, if you think that you are not capable of any sin, you're fooling yourself. If you think, I would never do that, you do not know. And put yourself in the wrong place, wrong time, you'll do the wrong thing. We see Noah, the man of God, the man who walked with God, the righteous man. Uh, he obeyed God. He built the ark. He worshipped God. But as we look in this passage, his failure. He gets drunk. And the consequences, and it not only affects Noah, but his sons, 
and his son's sons. I mean, there, it's just it's amazing. As we look at this sad story, we realize that anyone can fail. Noah, who walked with God. Adam and Eve, who lived in the perfect environment. David, a man after God's own heart. Moses, meek and powerful, a great leader. Peter, the apostle, all failed. You and I should take heed lest we think we stand that we fall. And I'm going to tell you, you just, you just put yourself in the wrong thing. You put the wrong stuff in your brain. You get yourself in the wrong situation. And before you know it, you're doing things that you'd say, how in the world would I have ever done that? Well, let's break down the passage so we can see. First of all, verses 18 through 23, we see he gets drunk. We see the son's reactions. There's honor and dishonor. We'll see how that fits together. And then in verses 24 through 29, Noah gives prophecies. There's cursing and blessing on the sons, and we'll see how that fits together. Well, the fall, you might say the fall of Noah, the failure of Noah. It begins with a summary. Look at Genesis 10. Look at verse 18. Now, the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Ham was the father of Canaan. Now, it's a little bit strange because we read this and we says, Now, the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were, and we know them, and it lists them, Shem and Ham and Japheth. But then it says, And Ham was the father of Canaan. Well, do you realize that Shem had sons, and Ham had sons, Japheth had sons? Why is it only that Ham's son is mentioned here, which is Canaan? Well, the answer is because He's going to be singled out because there's going to be an issue here. In fact, as remember when we read the scripture a while ago, the cursing was on Canaan, the son of Ham. And we'll see how all this ties together as we go through it. The prophecy deals with Canaan, and there'll be a prophecy from Noah concerning this son and his descendants. Now, as we get in the passage, I want you to think about some things. Here's the first one. Um, why does Noah, who was a spiritual man, and that we saw him as a spiritual man, a man who walked with God and all that, what, is, what happened here? What appeared so bad? What, what happened? Second is, what did Ham do to Noah? Because if you read the verse, it said, Ham the father of Canaan saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. And we go, so? I mean, what, what happened? I mean, what, what did he do? What, what's the deal here? And, and we may not know, but we'll see. And then the third thing is, why is Canaan cursed for something he didn't do? Canaan didn't have anything to do with this, is what we think. So let's see how this goes as we go through it. Let's look at Noah's failure. Look at verse 20. All right, Noah, let me, let me get verse 19 because I didn't read that. It says, these, these three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. So these are the sons, and the whole earth was populated. Now, then Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. Is there anything wrong with that? No, everything looks fine to me. I mean, he came off the ark and said, I'm going to, you know, go tell him what he did before. We know for a long time, what did he do? He was building an ark, yeah. So uh, he didn't have a lot of time to do other things. But Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. <clears throat> now, uh, the, the idea there is he drank wine, which was nothing wrong with drinking wine, but it seems to be that the drunk part was the part that was wrong. It says he became drunk. And then uncovered himself in his tent. Now realize, drunkenness is always negative in the scripture. Always is. Always is. The drinking of wine is accepted. In fact, as you look through the scripture, never does it say that it is sinful to drink, to drink wine. But it is always, always negative in the scripture to being drunk. In fact, it's always wrong. As Ross uh, 
who was one of my seminary professors in Hebrews and taught me Hebrew, but he also was great in, in the book of Genesis. He said the Old Testament did not prohibit the use of wine, but drunkenness was never excused. Proverbs 20 verse 1 says strong drink is a mocker, which means alcohol will make a fool out of you. And we've all seen that happen. How do you deal with drinking? It's part of your life. Every one of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior, you have to make a decision or deal with the whole issue of alcohol and drinking. How do you deal with it? You, you realize this, that as you look in the Old Testament, the more responsibility a person had, the less alcohol played in their, a part they played in their life. The priest, when they served, they were not allowed to drink wine when they served at the temple. The king, when the king was going to make any decisions whatsoever, he was not allowed to drink wine when he was making decisions. In the New Testament, we see the testimony of believers is paramount. paramount. We see that uh, in the person who's going to be in a place of leadership, it talked about, it says, not addicted to wine, which means a person who's, who's not into to drinking the alcohol. It doesn't say you can't drink. It says you, you can't be into it in that sense. Each of you must make a decision on how you're going to deal with the whole thing. Uh, I have college students come up to me, and they'll say, uh, is, it, is it sin to drink? And my first question to them is, how old are you? Because if you're 19 or 20, is it a sin to drink? It is because it's against the law, and the Bible tells us to obey the laws of our government. And the government says you can drink at what legal age? 21. So if you're 20, 19, or 18, it is, it is wrong for you to drink because that, you're violating the Scripture. You're violating the laws of the government. Now, what if you are 21? Can you drink? Well, that's an issue that you have to decide yourself. You know that Scripture does not say that it is wrong to drink. But it does say it's wrong to get drunk. And one of the key things that we as believers have to deal with is what about our testimony? What about our testimony to other people? And it may be that you have the right to drink and not get drunk, of course. But it may be because of the fact that you want to maintain a testimony, because of the fact that you don't want anybody to see you drink and think something different about you, that maybe you choose to do that. I've made a decision, and my advice would be as a believer, I would, I would probably not deal with alcohol because it usually only gets people into trouble. And I would just say the best thing to do, I made a decision a long time ago when I coached at Mississippi State. You know, I've never have drank uh, hardly any at all. I mean, I think in college once I drank, just, you know, people drank, and I drank. And I I didn't, you know, I didn't like it. My mother and daddy drank. I saw saw my daddy drunk before. So I saw it there, and and I never liked it. I tasted it, and I thought, I don't like this. It's really not that good to me. I like Coca-Cola. I really like that a lot. So I decided to go with Coke and Coke Zero and those kind of things rather than the other stuff. Uh, I had a bunch of people come up to me today and say, uh, we saw you on the Tron last night. I was on the Tron, but I thought I was glad I wasn't doing something stupid when the Tron was on me. But what if one, one college girl said today, because I made this joke, I said, well, I'm glad the Tron wasn't on me and I was holding a beer or something like that. You know how ridiculous. So she said, what if somebody said, will you hold this for just a second? I went, yeah, I'll hold it for you. And then the Tron was on me. <laughs> So I'm not going to hold it, you know, at all. I'm not going to do anything. You never can know when the Tron could be on you. So don't do Be careful what you do. Take heed lest you think you stand. You could fall right out the window. But anyway, I would say that each of you have to decide before God how you're going to deal with this. Because 
you know, in certain parts of the world, drinking is, is nothing. And in certain parts of the world, there are people who immediately, when you drink, think it's sin. I grew up in Mississippi. And in Mississippi, at least when I was growing up, I don't know how Mississippi has changed now, but when I was growing up, if you drank, it was a sin. People considered it a sin whether you were drunk or not. And so a lot of people who wanted to have a, a maintain a strong testimony didn't have anything to do with alcohol. So that's, that's what I'm saying. Now, the temptation came to Noah, and he got drunk and uncovered himself in his tent. Someone has said this. With the opportunity to start and get society going, Noah was found drunk in his tent. The pull of the flesh and the world would have has such a great appeal, and it pulls us seldom do we see the pain that comes from disobedience. And so here's Noah. He uncovered himself in his tent. Okay, Now, we know what that means. This next event, whatever happened here, has been debated throughout history. What did Ham do? Look at verse 22. Ham, the father of Canaan. Now, he continues to make sure we understand the connection here. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Now, he saw the naked of his father. What does that mean? It, it, I mean, we could take this that he went into the tent and went, oh, my goodness, and came out and said, you know what's happened in there? I mean, you could say, what's wrong with that? What's the big deal? What does it mean? Well, number one, what does this mean? Could it mean that some say the saw the nakedness may mean a homosexual action because literally to see the nakedness over in Leviticus 18 implies some type of sexual aspect. So it could be that when it says that Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, there was some homosexual action connected there. He did something wrong in that way. If you go down to verse 24... It says, when Noah awoke from his, from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him. What does that mean? And so there's some people who say that when it says, saw the nakedness, it has the idea that he did something in a sexual way to his father. And when Noah awoke and knew what he had done. That, that's pretty gross, right? Do we, I don't want to talk about this much anymore. But that's, that's what some people think it means. There's a second view, a second thing, is that the word saw there literally means to gaze, to look longer than a glance. It wasn't that he walked in and went, whoa. He walked in and, and, and the idea there is almost that he's making fun. And that when he went out and told his brothers, it says, he, and the father and he went out and told his brothers. And some imply there that he told because he went out and made fun of his father. He was showing disrespect. He was glad at the failure. He went out and said, wait till you see what he has done in here. And so the second view is not necessarily any kind of homosexual or sexual aspect, but just the fact that he didn't honor his father, that, that he made fun of his father, that he went out and told his brothers, look what, look what's happened in there. Henry Morris, who wrote a commentary on the book of Genesis, says he expressed his resentment of his father and he was glad for the failure. So the second view is he dishonored the father. And whatever happened there, because it could be that when we read verse 24, when Noah woke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. That view is that he knew his youngest son had made fun of him, had dishonored him, whatever. Well, what happened? We don't know. And I don't know if we'll ever know. Maybe when we see them, we can say, what was this all about? What happened? Tell us. Everybody's always wanting to know what happened. And they might say, none of your business. God wanted you to know. He'd have put it in the Scripture. All right? Could be. Could be. You know, when we fail, I just want to throw this out, just a little side note. When you fail, 
You confess your sins, you're faithful, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you. Who do you tell your failures to? You know, God and, and maybe the people closest to you that know about that failure. It's not necessarily that you have to announce to the whole world your failures. I mean, when you mess up and the people closest to you know you mess up and you go to them and say, I messed up, you don't have to then stand before a bunch of people you don't know and say, I just like to tell you all how I messed up. That's none of their business. So be careful because I've had people, I mean, I had a, I had a person some years ago in our church who just started coming to the church. Just, I mean, she had been here about a month. She came into my office and she told me of something that she had done some years before. And I said, okay. And then she said, what I'd like to do is get up on a Sunday morning and tell everyone about this so that they can know, you know, what's happened to me in the past. I said, I don't think that's a good idea. I said, number one, they don't know you. You don't have to confess this sin to them. You've already dealt with it with God and anybody else. It's not anybody else's business. Okay. So maybe we don't know because we're not supposed to know exactly what happened. Okay. Well, look at the contrast. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it upon both their shoulders, and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. So let's pretend this is the tent and he's in there. The two brothers get this thing and they walk backwards together. They got their faces turned away. They go past their father and they cover him up that way. And they don't look. What they're doing is showing respect. They're saying, I'm not, I'm not looking. I'm not going to make fun of any way. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to honor my father. And so we see a contrast, at least, between Shem and Japheth and Ham in the sense that there's a lack of respect, apparently, on one, because he goes out and tells, and the other, that they covered him up. And I think that's why you see this great contrast between the two boys who went backwards, did not look at all, and then the other son who said, who saw the nakedness. And that that word, saw, means to gaze. So we're not all sure what happened. But realize, I want you to understand, these... uh, these were grown men. Truths are that there are great truths here as far as our relationship to our parents, regardless of the ages. And I want to, I've taught this before. I just want to put this together for you real quickly. Three things that we know from the Word of God that we're supposed to do in relationship to our parents. Now, if your parents are still alive, thank God for that. Thank God for that. I wish I could see my mother or daddy. I'd love to. But uh, here's number one, uh, three things in relationship to our parents. Both the Old Testament and New Testament say honor your parents. Honor them. Uh, the honor means to show respect. Some people say, well, how long are you supposed to honor your parents? As long as they're alive and as long as you are alive. You honor them even after they're dead. We always show respect for our parents. Some say, you don't know my parents. That's not the point. It's the position. It's not the person. It's the Position, because that's the mother and father that God has given to you, and the Word of God says, honor your mother and father. Number two, obey, oh, go back, I'm sorry. Obey your parents. As long as you're under their authority, you are to obey your parents, both Old Testament and New Testament. Now, Old Testament's different than the New Testament, or Old Testament's different than our culture today, because in the culture of the Old Testament, a young girl stayed under the authority of her father until she married. Most of the time, they married between ages 14 and 18, and when she got married, she was under the authority of her husband. In that culture, a girl didn't get 18, 19, and then say, I'm moving off, getting my own apartment, doing my own thing. 
It just, that wasn't the culture. Nowadays, there are people who grow up and they leave their family and start their own lives. They may not be married. And so there comes a time in our lives, in our culture, in which you can come out from under the authority of your parents. And so you obey your parents as long as you're under their authority. And I've told you all the stories about, uh, you know, people who are 22, 23, parents are still paying for most of their stuff. Parents tell them to do things. They don't like it. They'll come to me. I mean, they'll come to me. Graduate school person comes to me and said, I'm pretty upset. My parents want me to do this and do this. I said, well, are they paying you what? Yeah. I said, you're under their authority. They said, well, I don't like it. I said, well, then come out from under their authority. Pay your own stuff. I don't want to do that. Okay. Okay. Then, you know. Do what your parents say. That's the thing. There's a third thing, and that is to provide for our parents. And uh, we're uh, increasingly, as people are living longer and longer, uh, more and more children are having to take care of their parents. First Timothy talks about uh, taking care of parents. Uh, in fact, it actually says that, uh, and it's using the illustration of a widow there, but the, the children of the widow are to take care of their, of their parents if, if the parents aren't able to take care of themselves. And for some in this room, you cannot even imagine that you'd have to take care of your parents because they've always been strong and they've always been there and they've always taken care of you and they've always done this, but there may come that time. So we honor always, we obey while we're under the authority and we provide if necessary. What we find apparently is that Ham did not honor Whatever he did, whether it was something sinful, sexual that way, whether it was sinful in the sense that he didn't honor, we know the other two did. And so what happened? Verse 24, when Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. Now, let me ask you a question. We don't have any information. How did he know? Did the other boys come in and say, let me tell you what happened while you were out? Did, was, I mean, how did he know? We, we don't know. But what, whether it's a dishonor, whether it's a sexual thing, whatever it is, Noah is going to do something. He's going to make a prophecy. And this prophecy will affect mankind. It will affect the descendants of Ham and Shem and Japheth. And we see the contrast between these two. In fact, the next slide shows that there will be a cursing of one and a blessing of two. There's going to be a cursing there. And then there's going to be blessing. And the surprise is the cursing is not on Ham. Ham is the one that went in there. Ham is the one that whatever he did, did. And notice the next verse. So he said, this is Noah, Cursed be who? Canaan. Who is Canaan? You have to go back verse 18. And Ham was the father of Canaan. You have to go to verse 22. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father. Who knows? But here's the thing. Cursed be to Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brothers. The first aspect of the curse that he's going to come under, that, that Canaan's, Canaan himself and his descendants are going to be servants of Shem and Japheth. Somehow, whatever that means. That the descendants are going to be servants. We're going to come back to this because uh, this not only affected him, but it affected his all of his offspring through Canaan. Now that's the cursing. Look at the blessing. Versus, I don't know if I have a. Yeah, I do have a slide for the blessing. The blessing on the two other two sons. Shem. It seemed to be more of a spiritual blessing, where Japheth, Japheth had more of a temporal blessing. Notice he said, and he said, verse 26: Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servants. They're going to come under Shem, and we'll talk about it in just a minute. Who are the descendants of Canaan? And then may God enlarge Japheth. And he's saying, may he get him a lot of land. Let him dwell in the tents of Shem. He says he's going to have all kind of land. And 
dwell everywhere. And notice, and let Canaan be his servant. Once again, the descendants of Ham through Canaan are going to serve the, basically Shem, Japheth, and their descendants. The prophecy comes to the Canaanites. Now, who are the Canaanites? Well, we'll talk about it in just a second. But uh, there, there are a lot of people who've said, oh, Ham, and well, he was cursed. No, Ham wasn't cursed. Canaan was cursed. Now, I want to show you something. You have to look at chapter 10, verse 6 to get this. But let me throw this up here. In chapter, uh, Ham had four sons, Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. Cush, the descendants of Cush, the best we can tell, that's Ethiopia, that part of the world. Mizraim, that's Egypt. So the descendants of Ham... Cush moved into the area which became known as the Ethiopians. And Mizraim moved in the part of the world, became the Egyptians. And Put, best we could tell, went to Libya. And Canaan went to what we call the Middle East. They went to the land of Canaan. Where is the land of Canaan? It's what we call the promised land. It's, it's where Israel is. The curse was on the people in the land of what we'd say is Canaan and Israel. And when did that curse get its fulfillment? You remember, just think about this. The nation of Israel went down to Egypt, a descendant of Ham, and lived there and prospered and then were in bondage and then came out. And Moses led them out, part of the Red Sea, went down to Mount Sinai. After they got through Mount Sinai, it was 11 days journey from Kadesh Barnir to the to, uh to Beersheba, they got there and they and they got there and they got ready to go in and then they wouldn't go in, so they wandered around for 40 years and Moses died and then Joshua got ready to take them into the promised land. Who was living in the promised land? The Canaanites. All those names. Listen to this. Canaan became the father of Sidon, and his firstborn Heth, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites, and the Gerishites, and the Hivites, and the Archites, and the Sinites, and the Avidites, and the Zamorites, and the Hittite. Who are these people? These are the people who lived in the land of Canaan. What happened to the people who lived in the land of Canaan when Joshua led the nation in there? They all got conquered. That was part, but most people say that's part of the curse on Canaan because they became the servants. And the Canaanites that they did not destroy became the servants of the Israelites. And the Israelites are descendants of Shem. So some say that's exactly what happened. The curse on the people of the land. Here's the question that everybody asks. Well, why is it that Canaan was cursed and not Ham. There's no explanation. It doesn't say Ham did this, but because of what Canaan did, he got the curse. It doesn't say that at all. So why? Well, let me give you some things that people have thought about. Number one is that the curse was a prophecy anticipating the deeds of these people. The curse was a prophecy on the Canaanites because the Canaanites would indeed be people who were wicked. In fact, God told the Jewish people that they remained in Egypt for a certain period of time because the iniquity of the Amorites, Canaanites, was not yet full. The reason that God brought Israel into the promised land was to destroy a wicked people. That's the Canaanites. Okay? Some say that the curse was on Canaan because it was a prophecy telling what kind of people they were going to be. Okay? Number two. If some say that as Noah was dishonored by his son Ham, then Ham would be dishonored by his son, Canaan, because the Canaanites 
were going to be bad. And so we basically say it. As Ham was not good to his father, then Canaan was now going to be good to his father. That's what some people say. I don't know. We don't know on this. The third thing is that there was a prediction of the sexual deviation characterized by Ham. It was true in Canaan. Just what, And this is why some people say this was a sexual thing. But all we can say is this, that when you go into the Canaanites and you look at their practices, they were known for their sensuality and sexual deviation. In fact, if you read carefully, descendants of the Canaanites were Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, those people, people groups. And then here's the last one, which is not a bad one. Okay, here's the last one. God had already blessed the three sons, so Noah couldn't curse him because he'd already been blessed by God. And some people say that he couldn't curse him because God had already blessed him, so he cursed his offspring instead. So if you said, why did this happen to Canaan rather than Ham? The truth is, nobody really knows. And you've got some ideas there. And, uh, you know, I think number four may be as right as anything. Because we don't know all these other things, what, what really happened. We know Canaan carried out the dishonoring of God and the sexual perversion that characterized him. This may be the thing. But here's something you have to remember. Sin and failure is never alone. It is never in a vacuum. It affects others. What Noah did when he got drunk and did this, it affected Ham. And what Ham did affected Canaan and his descendants. And when you and I sin, it doesn't just affect us. Sometimes we think it does. Sometimes we think this is just between me. Sometimes we think it's just me and me. But it's not me and me. It's always me and God to begin with. And then it's me and God and the other people that are closest to me. That's why in 1 John it says we not only breaks when we sin, it not only breaks our fellowship with God, but it breaks our fellowship with other believers. There's always the consequences of sin. Now, look at the conclusion of the passage, and I've got a few other things, and we'll open up for any questions you might have. Verse 28, so Noah lived 350 years after the flood. And so all the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. You remember it was the 600th year of his life and the flood came. And so he lived 350 years after, which is 950, and he died. And we'd go, man, that was, was, man, that's a long time to live. And we noticed that the generations who lived before the flood lived 800 and 900 years. But we know the generations after the flood lived much shorter. In fact, the next whole generation is around 500 years. And then the generation after that begins to get smaller and smaller, most likely because the cloud cover is gone and the rays of the sun and all of those kind of things had their effect. What have we seen? We've seen the failure of Noah. That the, the righteous man gets drunk. We've seen his son Ham dishonors his dad in some way. We don't know. Two other sons honor, honor him. One dishonors. We see Noah's prophecy about the cursing and the blessing. He blessed Shem and Japheth. He cursed Canaan, the son of Ham. What all that means. Now, let me give you some applications to think about. And here's the first one. Take heed, lest you think, you stand, you fall. There is gonna, there's temptation all around us every time. And if we think that we're fine, if we think I would not do that, whatever, hey, just realize this, we are all capable of any sin. And, and you cannot let yourself think that you're not capable of any sin. Now, I know all of us in this room would say, oh, I'm capable of a lot of sins. But there's probably some things I would not do. I don't know. I don't know. Do you know for sure? What if you're in a situation? You don't know what you, don't know what you do. So we are capable of any sin. Be careful. We think. If we think we stand, we fall, that we are sinful. Guard ourselves. Put on the full armor of God so that we can stand. Put God's word and God's power. Guard our hearts. 
Calvin said we must look to God in temptation, for even the slightest temptation will overcome us if we rely on our own strength. So the first thing is we're capable of any sin. Number two, or B here, is remember there are consequences of sin. There always are. It breaks fellowship with God. It breaks fellowship with others. Spurgeon said this, we pay for sin. We pay in our relationships. We pay in our loss of fellowship with our Savior. We pay by the discipline that comes. We pay with a life that is joyless and empty. So it's true. When you when you when we sin, you know, it we lose the joy of our salvation. That's why the Psalm fifty one when David wrote about the sin with Bathsheba and he talked about how God's hand was on him, and when he did that he said, Lord, restore to me that Psalm thirty two and Psalm fifty one, he said, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. When you sin, you don't lose salvation, you lose the joy of your salvation. So it's pretty powerful. There are consequences. The third thing is just remember sin is never in a vacuum. It never is. What what Noah did affected Ham. What Ham did affected Canaan and his relationship. What we do affects others. We're not alone. And so one of the questions we have to deal with is how do we deal with temptation? The very best thing we can do is run from temptation. I think we will get to the story later on up in the chapter 30-something of the book of Genesis, about 38, and there when we get to Joseph. And we see what Joseph did. When the temptation came in his life, Joseph ran off. And let me tell you, 1 Timothy 2.22 says, Flee youthful lust. That means run. Get away from it. Don't put ourselves in the temptations. Don't put ourselves in a place in which we could fall. Because take heed lest you think you stand, you fall. You can't say, I think I can make it through that. I don't think that will affect me. I think I'm fine. Don't put yourself in a situation that... You could fall. The consequences are there. It's never in a vacuum and it affects other people. It's just the way it is. The second big application I want you to look at is deal biblically with our parents. What I mean by that is the whole idea of A is to honor them. Honor them always. And and, uh, we honor and respect our our parents as long as they live, as long as we live. The idea of honoring them, value them as a person, value the place that God God has put them in our lives. And, uh, you know, it's so funny about... Uh, it, and I'm—I mean, I'm telling you the truth. I, I was—I was never uh, really. When I became a teenager, I thought, as many teenagers, that I knew a lot, and I treated my mother with disrespect a lot of times. My dad was gone a lot, and I look back now and how ashamed I am of the fact that I did not treat my mother with respect as I should have, and and she never stopped loving me. And you think about honoring your mama and your daddy. And uh, honor them not only as long as they're alive, but as long as you're alive. It's That's the parents that God has given you. So what are some things you can do? If you've got your mom and daddy alive, think about something you might do this week. You might do this week to honor them, to write a letter, thanking them for their guidance and, and for their provision and, and all of those things. Okay. second thing is obey. As long as you're under their authority, obey them. If you're still under the authority, do what they say. If you don't like to do what they say, then come out from under their authority. Do your own thing. God has placed them over you to guide you. In fact, if you don't like authority, you're in trouble. Because everywhere you go, there's authority. There's authority of the government, the authority in a local church, the authority of your teachers, the authority uh, over you, the authority of a boss, the authority of your parents. It's in every situation. God has placed us in authority, under authority. And so obey your parents as long as you're under their authority. And then the third thing, and this is the hardest one for a lot, is to provide for them because we just can, almost can't picture that we'd have to provide. I've told you all this story about my mama, and I love her so much. And uh, after my daddy died, he had a, he worked for B of Goodrich, but you know they have like a sort of a retirement deal or something after he died, and it really wasn't that much money. And his mama lived longer because my daddy died when he was 59. 
And after he, she, she lived up in, in her 70s. And in those latter years, that money sort of ran out. And it just really wasn't enough for her to live on, especially as our society kept, everything got more and more expensive. And so by the grace of God, I have, I have an older brother who's 11 years older than me. I have an older sister that's 7 years older than me. And I have a twin sister. And we made a decision that when we knew what was going on, and my twin sister lived less than a mile from my mama, so uh, she was with her every day. My brother lives in Williamsburg, Virginia. My oldest sister lives in Santa Rosa, California, and I'm right in the middle of the United States, so we're spread completely out. But those last years of my mother's life, we determined that every month we would all, we would each one, each one of us would send money to my mother to supplement what little income she had from all four of us coming in. It, it was money enough to take care of her. And that was our responsibility. My mother was eight. She had three open heart surgeries and a cancer surgery, and she made it through all of them. And uh, she she did really well. My twin sister was there most of the time. And uh, but those last years were were good for her in the sense that she could live by herself, and we were able to be because we provided and we had that responsibility to do that. First Timothy chapter five. And there may be a comes a time in your life when you have to provide for your folks. May we fulfill our responsibilities. May we honor our parents, obey our parents, and provide for them. My prayer is that the Lord will teach us as we look at this to recognize the horror of sin, realize the consequences of sin, and uh, deal with that in our lives, taking, taking heed lest we think we stand, we fall, we live righteously and godly now. Let's pray, and then if there's any questions or comments, we'll deal with them. Heavenly Father, what a passage as we see Noah and, and uh, the sons and Ham and Shem and Japheth and what happened and the cursing on Canaan and all of those things, Lord. And there's just some things there we just don't really understand exactly what happened. We see what happened, we just don't understand it all. But Lord, we just realize that there are uh, consequences to sin and that we're capable of any sin and it's never in a vacuum. And so we want to take heed lest we think we stand, we fall. We want to flee youthful lust. We want to put on the armor of God so that we can stand. We want to do the right thing so that we can continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. And Lord, in dealing with our parents, may we always honor them, may we obey them as long as we're under their authority, and may we provide for them if the time comes that we might need to do that. Thank you, Lord, for this passage. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, questions, comments, anything? Yeah, J.J. Maybe. How did Noah have the authority to make that prophecy? Uh, well, I don't, I don't know if he had, you know, I, what we'd say is, did he just say, okay, just for that? Right. But the best that we can see, since here is Noah, the main man, and there's how many people are there in the world at this point? You know, there's already some, Canaan's been born, some of these other kids have been born, so it's already spread out. But apparently... God, when Noah spoke this, it was a prophecy from God because it came true. And so he was speaking a prophecy, whether he, maybe whether he realized that this was really from God or maybe he understood that he had authority and God allowed him to speak this that would come to pass. It's almost like, I was thinking about this, you know that when, uh, when the high priest of Israel, Caiaphas, he made a prophecy and he didn't realize it, but he was making an accurate prophecy. He said, it is expedient that one man die for the nation. And he was saying, it's better that we kill Jesus so the nation is in better shape. He didn't realize that the prophecy was, it, it was expedient that this one man, Jesus, would die for the nation of Israel. And so it was really right. He made a prophecy and didn't realize that it was a real prophecy. Maybe Noah when he said, this is what's going to happen, maybe he just thought that's what he wished would happen. But whatever it was, it was a prophecy. So it came true. Maybe, maybe God had told him that whatever you say is, is going to come to pass. Yeah.
That's a good question. What else? Yeah. Okay. I don't think we should add something that's not in here. Mm-hmm. Okay, but we don't have the implication. You can't add to it there either because it doesn't say he laughed. It says he went and told his brothers. He said uh, he went and told his brother. He went outside and told his brothers. It doesn't say anything. He said he saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. He could have gone out and said, I better go look at this. This is bad. This is bad. It didn't say he laughed, so we can't add to it at all. The word, see the nakedness, in some places in Scripture means sexual. That's why I brought that passage up. But you're right. We don't know what happened, and that's why there's a speculation that it's sexual. It's a speculation that he made fun. And I, I lean toward the view that he dishonored his father by not covering him up, by going out and telling the brothers. and Because the brothers' actions were totally opposite. They went in and covered him up. So I would lean toward what you're saying more than the other one. But the other one could have happened as well. I just don't know because it's a funny thing. When Noah woke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. Now, did he mean had done to him, made fun of him, dishonored him, or does he mean something else? We don't know. Yeah, maybe so, yeah. What else? What else? That's a good point. Yes. Well, it seems to be that if people have always said that Shem, the descendants of Shem, came more to be the Israelites and the Semitic people, and Japheth turned and became more of the uh, Europeans, you know, and Hamites became more of the, the African and that part of the world. Some have said that the Japheth people, the descendants of Japheth, over years have controlled Israel's part of the world because of the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the Greco-Macedonians and the Romans controlling. And so some people say that that's a, a prophecy that they would control the land at different times, even though ultimately it's going to belong to Israel. That's the only thing that I've ever heard on what that really means. So nobody, I'm not sure anybody knows. Yeah. I think that's a great point. He said, could there be any tie-in with Adam and Eve sinned that God came and covered their nakedness because of their sin? And the tie-in there is that Ham didn't do the same for his father where Shem and Japheth did. That's a real good point. That's a possibility there because that, that, that ties in there with the, with the same thing what happened there. Of course, they, they didn't get drunk. And they, they just recognized because of sin well, what, what happened, and they tried to cover themselves up. And Yeah, good point. Anything else? Well, we would say that for Noah, his sin was drunkenness. So his son is the one that provided the, what God made God not? No, no, no. Well, the scripture before that says that Noah... Noah began farming, planting a vineyard. He drank of the wine, became drunk, and uncovered himself as tent. That's all Noah. The point that I said about Noah is that the Bible always never says that uh, taking a drink or drinking is wrong, but it always talks about... Re- drunkenness being wrong and so this is what we say where Noah messed up was that he got drunk 
Yeah. Well, everybody, yeah, well, everybody did, though, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. I think so. He, uh, yeah. Let's just make as much excuses for him as we can. <laughs> yeah. Yes. What? Oh, my gosh. We'll never get out of here. Yes. Well, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't really say we don't know. We don't know what all had been revealed from Adam and Eve all the way up to Noah and before the, the flood and after the flood. We don't have enough information. But everywhere in the scripture, uh, it deals with it in a negative light. And so the implication would be, because you remember by the time that you actually have written down these five books, it's the time of Moses. So it's not like, I mean, now, they knew these stories, but we actually have the written revelation at the time of Moses. And so those implications even there, people would automatically look at that and go, wow, he messed up there. Question? Oh, y'all were having the, that was a dual arm raise. Yeah, yeah, okay. Anything else? Oh, yes. Okay. This may be the last one. Okay. I think it's a hard thing to, to pick out because he didn't really give a specific. She said, how do you honor your mother and father? I think it's to show them respect in the position that God has, has put them in your life. Now, how often you go visit them and whether you remember certain things and whether you call them so often and all that, I, I, I think that, I mean, I don't think you're going to be able to find that in the Scripture. I just think the idea is the respect and the honor of the position that they are in your life. Now, you know, there are people who will say, uh, my father was a terrible father. That, uh, and that doesn't mean you put yourself in a situation where your father can be terrible to you, but it does mean you honor who that person is. But that may mean that you don't go and put yourself where he could harm you or something like that. I think all mothers and fathers have their own ideas of what children should do to honor them. Should we end on that one? Let's do. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you for uh, the passage. Thank you for uh, the truths. Help us to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. And Lord, we realize there are things in the Scripture that you do not give us all of the information, and we do the best that we can with the information that we have. Lord, the goal is for us to be godly men and women who live for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.